Between work, family, and life, going to the grocery store can be a major inconvenience. With ButcherBox, you'll be saving yourself precious time that's better spent elsewhere. ButcherBox offers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range chicken, pork that's raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. Translation, no antibiotics or hormones are added to your food, and you can rest assured you're not eating weird chemicals. Plus, ButcherBox is a certified B Corp, which means they meet the highest standards regarding their social and environmental impact. Even better, your ButcherBox orders are shipped directly to your door for free. And you can customize your plan, so all you need to do is place your order and wait for exactly what you want to be brought right to you for free. They also have tasty recipes and cooking tips to make mealtime easier. We use ButcherBox at our house and we couldn't have been happier with all the delicious options. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential. Three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com lisk and use code lisk to choose your free offer and get $20 off. Again, go to butcherbox.com lisk, L-I-S-K, and use code lisk to get 20% off today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Mopac Audio. Thank you for joining us on this special episode of Lisk, Long Island Serial Killer. My name is Chris Moss. I was the host of the first two seasons and one of the producers. And I'm Shannon McGarvey, a senior producer for the podcast. So we're what we want to do today is we're going to just cover all the updates that have happened lately, and then we'll get into the Shannon Gilbert 911 call that was finally released after years and years and promises and but we'll catch you up to that, give you a little background on the night before, just what you know, what the context is before Shannon goes out to Oak Beach and this call is made. But we'll get to all that. But first, Rodney Harrison was announced as the new SCPD commissioner, and he is the first person of color to serve in the position, which is major for Suffolk County. And, you know, beyond that, really came in with all guns blazing uh, and you know, vowed to change the negative narrative around SCPD under sort of the ethos of transparency and um, and trust in in order to prevent crime. And it seems like he's he's really followed through on that. Recently in February, has uh, even launched a Gilgo Beach Homicide Investigation Task Force. Yeah, I don't know if all guns blazing is the right term. <laughs> for a new yeah. uh, police commissioner. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> no, but um, but he does seem to be true to his word. You know, he's being more transparent. They're releasing stuff. He started a task force, and he thinks this is, you know, this, this case, the list case, is solvable. And from what we understand, this task force has FBI, state police, Suffolk Sheriff's Office, the DA's office, and they're really working at it. And that's what we're hearing from different sources that, you know, this is... A whole different ball game. 
So we will see, and hopefully it brings some answers. Uh, and then in April of 2022, they released some more footage. Well, I'd seen it be some before, I think, but Meg Megan Waterman, who's one of the Lisk victims, one of the Gilgo Four, she had been at a Holiday Inn Express in Hop Hog, where she disappeared from, and they released some security camera footage. And we didn't get too deep into that or didn't do an episode on that because it, there didn't seem to be much interesting and haunting to see, but we didn't feel it really moved the needle as far as the investigation. Not long after that, in early May 2022, SCPD released some more new information on the Gilgo Four, some of their addresses, some new cell phone pings for Melissa Bartholomew. So, I mean, it's nothing that I think is going to necessarily solve the case. Who knows, maybe it will, but it was, it's good to see that they're being more transparent and finally releasing this stuff after so long. And then uh, on May 13th, the main bulk here of the episode is they released Shannon's 911 call and the other two calls, one by Gus Coletti, who she ran into, and one by Barbara Brennan, who, you know, Shannon went to her house after Gus Coletti's. And there are questions on why that happened. And, you know, we have guesses at why they drug their feet and didn't do it. And I think it's just because they didn't have to and they were annoyed by John Ray or I don't know if there's a major cover up. I think they were just they 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 kind of have a history of not releasing this kind of stuff and they just stuck to that i think when she's supposedly not part of the lisk investigation and it was just an accident but i think they finally you know hopefully it's harrison who's like look if it was an accident and they believe it was if you watch the videos they released then you can go to gilgo gilgo case no gilgo news yeah gilgo case is the other one <laughs> yeah gilgonews.com is the the website that SCPD set up and you can go see him there and listen to him there. And, you know, it's like they think it was an accident, some tragic accident. And um, yeah, so when we go through Shannon Gilbert's calls, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what we hear. And this is somewhat based on talking to Pac and Diaz and what we've heard from Brewer. Some of this is conjecture, but I think it all makes sense to us as we listen to it. Again, this is our account. We're not backing pack we're not backing brewer this is what we think this is where what we think is going on at the time and and how it matches up with what we've heard all along i think the bigger question that we'll discuss after the call is exactly that what happened after the call when she hung up how did she end up in the marsh i think that's the bigger question it's not this call exactly but we want to give you some context about leading up to that night uh, like what was going on the night before, because it does affect Shannon potentially and where she was at mentally and emotionally, physically. So the night before. Yeah. Well, I, I also wanted to say, Chris, just as a precursor, you know, we consulted, we, we went back over our transcripts with Michael Pack, Alex Diaz, Michael Pack, Shannon's driver, Alex Diaz, her former boyfriend, they, as far as I know, were never privy to this call. They were never, this call was never shared with them. So I'm saying this because I, they, they couldn't have lied uh, with the call in mind, as far as I know. So, and that said, I'm not an apologist for either of them. But as Chris and I have said many times between the two of us, 
just because someone is engaged in, you know, questionable, illegal activity doesn't mean that they are a killer. So anyway, the night before Shannon went to meet up with Joseph Brewer, she was, according to PAC, was on another call in the Upper East Side. Uh, yeah, I think like the day before, she had a job in the Upper East Side. And uh, yeah, that was a cocaine party. So she went up and, and then after like 45 minutes or an hour, she, she called or texted me and said that uh, he wanted her to stay an extra hour because they were partying. So, <clears throat> and I said, okay, that's all right, fine. So the following uh, day, which was the, I guess the night before she disappeared, um, she went to a movie with her boyfriend, Alex Diaz, which we talk about in season one, and snuck Taco Bell in. She was in the car, we were driving, uh, we stopped by Taco Bell, I remember we, we, we sneaked in Taco Bell um, into the movies, we went to, we went to see the movie, um, um, it was, um, it was the name of the movie, I forgot, um, it was a Freddy Krueger. Nightmare on Elm Street. The night, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street. They get out of this movie and she's like, well, I'm going to go work some with Pac, and, uh, you know, Pac being her driver, and she was like, uh, you know, I want to make a little money. We've got some rent stuff coming up. She took the train from Jersey City in into Manhattan, met up with Pac. It was kind of slow, but around midnight, um, they get a call and head out to Oak Beach. Yeah, and then uh, Joseph Brewer, the John, who Shannon was going to meet, they he meets... Michael Pack and Shannon at the front gate of Oak Beach Association, the neighborhood that he lives in. And the reason why he meets him there is because I presumably didn't he did not want to give them the code to the gate. So he lets them in and they follow him down his street to his home, uh, on, which is on a, a street called the Fairway. And Michael Pack parks outside kind of takes a nap while Shannon and Joseph Brewer go upstairs for her call. And then, according to Pac, um, you know, they had exchanged some calls. She wanted him to go do a run to CVS for some things. You know, this stuff we've talked about in the first and second seasons, kind of extend the, extend the call, make the money, make more money. Pac says that Brewer and Shannon left to go do some errand. The facts of that have never come out, but this is what Pac has to say about that. I think it was around 2 a.m., I'm not sure, but about an hour after Shannon was there. Not, not too long after she was in there, about an, less than an hour. And I just, uh, I could barely, it was very dark, but I could barely uh, hear and see them like getting into his Jeep and zooming off. And then they came back like 20 minutes later. Brewer and Shannon come back 20 minutes later. And we asked him, were they carrying anything? What did they look like? Was, had their demeanor changed? Well, they seemed, uh, well, when they returned from uh, picking up something, uh, they seemed uh, you know, in a light mood, um, not, not extreme emotion one way or the other, just, you know, just picked up some stuff and just returning, like, uh, you know, like people do. Uh, but um, I, I don't remember them carrying any bags or anything, so it must have been like something small. So maybe like some um, cocaine or something. I, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, but at that time I didn't know. And then once they get back, 
this is where things start to change. You know, for this next hour, hour and a half, um, something seems to happen to Shannon. Shannon and Brewer go back upstairs. They're partying. And then around 4.51 in the morning, Shannon makes a call to 911. Oh, nine, how can I assist you? Hello? Hello? Hello, you dialed into the 911 system. How can I assist you? Hello? Yeah. Do you need the police? Yeah. Where? Where? Who's there with you? Hello? What's going on? Oh, there's somebody asking. What? Somebody asking me. So, first thoughts here. We're about um, 45 seconds in, and um, it is interesting to finally hear Shannon's voice. Um, you know, that we've... We've heard of, of bits and pieces from Shannon over the years, but just to hear her talking on this. So she's called in, and what she says at about 45 seconds in is, it seems to be, there's somebody after me. And it's kind of slurred, uh, it seems. Seems like she's a little out of it. And, you know, she calls 911, but doesn't say anything for a while. Um, just tuning in and out is what I think. She's. I think Brewer's there talking to her. Uh, according to the story that we've heard from Pack and Brewer all along is that Pack's still in the car. Brewer's trying to get her to leave. She's not doing it. You know, he's asking her to leave. She's saying why. She sounds inebriated. Uh, like she's not fully either on the call or even in, you know, whoever she's with. You know, it, she just doesn't sound fully present. Yeah, and I think it's good to remember this is about 5 in the morning, right? 5, when did she make it? 4.51? It 4.51, so it was almost 5. So it's almost 5 in the morning. She hasn't slept. She's been taking some stuff by what it seems. Presumably. And, uh, yeah. yeah, and um, yeah, she's not all there. Somebody is harassing you? After me. Who? Oh. Can trace her in? Let me talk to him. Let me talk to him. So a lot of people have uh, commented on this, you know, like, why didn't the 911 operator just trace her phone call? And I thought that was a really good question. Uh, so I reached out to the area detective that we spoke to in season two, and I asked him uh, because he's a cell phone expert about why the 911 dispatcher did not trace or could not trace Shannon's call. And this is what he said. He said, they only get the calling number. When you call from a house line, they do get the location. It could take up to two minutes though. If the calling number had a previous incident with the police, it will show up immediately because the systems are synced with the quote, in-house system. Since she called and couldn't give an exact location, she said Jones Beach, remember, 
The call went to state police because Jones Beach is a state-owned uh, location. State park. It's a state park, yes, and an amphitheater. And you'll hear that coming up where they transferred to Jones Beach. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell your customers in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse partner that can track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. It's easier than ever to connect with customers online and in line too. Shopify helps drive sales with their nifty plug and play tools to get the word out on TikTok, Instagram, and pretty much any social platform. Shopify has the hardware that'll fit your business. Take payments by phone, turn your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device to alleviate all those sales headaches. And if you ever run into problems, Shopify's award-winning support team is there to smooth things out. Do retail right with Shopify. So sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash LISK. That's L-I-S-K, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash LISK to take your retail business to the next level today. One last time, go to shopify.com slash LISK. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Since she called and couldn't give an exact location, the call went to state police because the dispatcher basically had no other option. Had she hung up, they would have notified state police and they would have done an exigent ping on her cell phone because it appeared she was in danger. That would take between 10 and 20 minutes to set up and execute, and the pinging in that region would be within 500 to 2,000 meters most likely because it is a rural area. It would make it pretty tough to find her then. Yeah, so just to sum up what he's saying is she called from her cell phone, and they don't get a location on a cell phone. Correct. Um, this isn't, you know, a lot of people watch TV shows where, you know, they can just see this ping on a CSI, and it's like, there they are, and it's not how it works. And especially now, not in 2010. Yeah, but if you were calling, like Gus Coletti, when he calls from his landline, his home phone, it makes sense that they can track down that that address rather quickly and then the cops show up soon after but at first they don't know where she's at she doesn't know where she's at and that's why she ends up she's seeing on the way out she sees a a lot of signage for jones beach so she says jones beach and that's why you're about to hear them transfer her to the state police you're at jones beach all right let me connect you to state police stay on the line You gotta talk louder to them. Why? Why? State police, Trooper Fry. State police. Yeah, there's somebody after me. I'm sorry? There's somebody after me. Where are you? There's somebody after me. Okay, where are you? 
There's somebody after me. Where are you, ma'am? I don't know. You're driving right now? No, I'm inside the house. I'm sorry? I'm inside the house. What house? I don't know. Can you trace where I am? I'm sorry? Can you trace where I am? No, I can't. What's your callback number you're calling from? Huh? What phone number are you calling from? Uh, what I was going to say is that, you know, it's curious to me that Shannon didn't just give her the dispatcher her phone number when the dispatcher asked for it. And, you know, this might be indicative of the fact that, like we said, she was going in and out, you know, kind of like with the dispatcher, not with the dispatcher. Are you in Suffolk County or Nassau County? Um, I'm in Long Island. Where on Long Island are you? No. 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 You hear in the background, um, and it was very, very quiet, but you hear Brewer say something that sounds like, you have a freaking problem, I think. And and I think he might be talking to Pac when Pac comes in because this he's is like, when Pac comes in. Yes, because he's like, hey, man, there's something up with this this woman uh, and she's your responsibility. And at two thirty two on the call, you just heard Brewer say, yeah, he wants to talk to you. This guy wants to talk to you. So this is Pac. He's gone out. He's gotten Pac. Pac comes in. And he's like, hey, your guy's here. He wants to talk to you. And then she's still resisting this. You're about to hear Pat come on at 2.48 and say, Shannon, come on. Like, let's go. No, stop. No. Where in Long Island are you? In Suffolk County? Nassau County? Huh? Oh. All right. Yeah, so something you hear there is Shannon saying, why are you calling me by my name? And this comes up a lot if you're on any of the boards or whatever, where it's like, you know, what's going on there? It's And basically what it is, what we believe and what has been backed up by PAC and different people is that, you know, she always uses, uses a different name. She doesn't use her real name for these calls. But Pac is in there trying to get her attention and is like, look, let's go, Shannon. And then she's like, whoa, why are you using my name, my real name, instead of, you know, Maria or whatever she went by? Why? County, you on the line? Stop. Stop it, please. Please stop. Please, into the door. No, time to go. Please. 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 So right there you hear Brewer at uh, 3.32. You hear him say, please, out the door. And so, again, it's like, is he trying to get her out of his house? Because if he is, which it seems like he is, that doesn't really match up with wanting to murder someone. Yeah, I mean, Pack and Brewer are the biggest idiots if they're trying to kill someone. And as the sun starts coming up and 
people are waking up. They're trying to get her out of the house to kill her. So it doesn't make sense to us that they've got this big plan to murder Shannon um, and they're trying to get her out of the house. Um, it's like, you know, and, and a lot of people are like, someone was out waiting for her. It's like, well, if it's just Shannon and they know she's on the phone anyway, hang up the phone, bring this whatever threat is inside and keep it contained. But that's not what they do. They want her to leave the house. No, please. And through here, you hear Brewer saying, come on, let's go. We're all going outside. Come on. You, me, pack. Let's all go outside. And again, I think it's just him trying to get her outside, get her into the car and and in this this party, this this date they had. And, and uh, she's not she's not going for it. Yeah, and you'll hear him saying, you know, hurry up, I want to show you something. There's something out here, which makes me believe even more so that perhaps she's just far gone uh, in terms of inebriation. Yeah, and something we've talked about is, to us, it sounds like that party that we've all been to where there's someone who's gone too far. Now, if Brewer gave her something and this is what's causing it, that's not good either, but... What it sounds like is someone is at a party, doesn't want to leave, and you know they're trying to talk this person into leaving, which we've been at parties. It gets late, and you have that person who doesn't want to go, and that's what it sounds like for 15 minutes. Yeah, it, uh, it doesn't make much sense in terms of logic to me. Uh, it honestly, and I said this to Chris, I said it sounds like they are arguing with a drunk person. And I'm not saying that Shannon was drunk. I'm just referencing my own personal experience, you know, of dealing with you know, whatever person at a party and being like, okay, it's time to go. Let's go. And for whatever reason, you just go round and round. Why? County, are you on the line? Why? Why? Why are you guys doing this to me? Doing what, this. What county are you in, ma'am? Doing this. Why are you calling me by my name? So again, you hear Brewer saying, get her out of here after this struggle. And in my mind, what I imagine is happening at this point is they're trying to drag her outside uh, because she's reluctant for whatever reason to go. And he's just had it. He's like, get her out of here. And this matches up with what Pac has said is that right about here, I mean, it is harrowing hearing Shannon and she does sound terrified. But um, it matches up with Pac has said is that 
this is when Brewer tries to forcibly like pick her up and carry her out and she fights him, you know, just struggles against him and he finally drops her. And what you're about to hear him say is like, it sounds like according to Pac, what they do is Brewer and him talk and he says, hey, I'll leave. You talk to her and see if you can get her to leave. So Brewer leaves, goes upstairs to his outside deck to smoke a cigarette. So here you you've just heard Brewer say, I'll go upstairs, I'll go upstairs, I'm gonna go upstairs, okay? Take care. Like, all right, you guys handle it, I'm out. And then you hear Pack address Shannon with, what's the matter? Are you okay? And then he says that she looks a little bit hungover. And then once Pack and Shannon have this moment of, uh, you know, this private moment, what you'll hear is, at least to me, what sounds like a demeanor shift in Shannon. Huh? Well, I don't know. But it was transferred to me. So what you just heard at 542 from what we hear is Shannon say, why? What are you going to do? Are you going to kill me? She says this to Pac. And Pac kind of, you know, like is like, what? What are you, crazy? Because he does not understand what she's talking about. Like, wh where are you going? Where are you at with this? Because it doesn't make any sense. And, and yeah, and, and what you'll hear is just a continuation of that sort of disbelief. Like, come on, I'm going to kill you? Come on. Pack is saying at 5.59, come on, you're freaking me out, come on. And Shannon's like, out in the middle of nowhere? And this is where it sounds to me like he's trying to ground her. He's like, hey, let's go back, hold on, let's go back to Manhattan. This is what Pack says at 6.03. All right, we're in Long Island. We're out near the water, the ocean. That just speaks to me that she, he thinks that she's messed up and he's trying to sort of bring her back to reality. Please, stop. Please, Mike. No, stop it, please. Okay, fine, fine. Please, take my time to let you die. I'm not going to the water. You die? I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Six, three, one. Five, one, one. Why? Michael Pack at about 6.17 in says, oh, okay, fine, fine, all right. And what I think at that point happens is that he walks away from Shannon, like whatever, man. 
and um, and then she sort of starts following after him. I didn't do anything. I, I didn't do anything. And, uh, and then she finally catches up to him, or at least in his close proximity, and she says at 642, Mike, do you feel that? And he says, what? And again, it just sounds like somebody who um, is very, very inebriated. Yeah, and then another thing you'll hear through this is that the 911 call dispatcher is talking to someone else at the dispatch center. So, you know, they're kind of trying to figure out what do we do here? Sounds like she's out by the water. You know, they're trying to sort this out while they have her on the phone. And that conversation in the background, that crosstalk that Chris just mentioned, is very important because later on in the call, you'll hear that dispatch center, or what we believe to be the dispatch center in the background, whereas other people on boards have said that that was indication or evidence of a party. And and I think it's important to point out because you will hear these, what sound like, you know, you hear a dispatcher who sounds female, but you'll hear these male voices lower in the background throughout but in, I don't think it's a party because when she leaves the house, you know, at about 17 in or whatever later, you'll still hear those voices. So I think it's this dispatch center because they have tons of calls coming in. They're not the only, the only phone line that's being answered. I hear her again having this, you know, back and forth with Mike. And then eventually she says, I'm what sounds like I'm never going to do it again. Sometime in the early 80s, REO Speedwagon's airplane made an unannounced middle-of-the-night landing. This is my friend Kyle McLaughlin, the star of Twin Peaks. And he's telling me about how he discovered a real-life Twin Peaks in rural North Carolina, not far from where he filmed Blue Velvet. What was on the plane was copious amounts of drugs coming in from South America. Supposedly, Pablo Escobar went looking for other spots, quiet, out-of-the-way places to bring in his cocaine. My name is Joshua Davis, and I'm an investigative reporter. Kyle and I talk all the time about the strange things we come across, but nothing was quite as strange as what we found in Varnumtown, North Carolina. There's crooked cops, brother against brother. Everyone's got a story to tell, but does the truth even exist? Welcome to Varnumtown. Varnumtown is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Through terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events, on our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, 
where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. What I understand this to be is... uh, he has brought up like she's been partying, she's done some cocaine, she's done some drugs, and she's like, no, I'd never do that. Um, and this goes along with what Pac has said all along. And he's like, yes, you did. You did this like maybe he says the night before. We don't exactly know what he says, but it sounds like he's bringing up like, look, you've been partying, you've done too much of whatever it is, and now you're messed up, and now I'm having to deal with this. And... Um, She's trying to talk her way out of that, but uh, that's what I—that's what we believe is going on here. Yeah, it sounds like she, he's kind of—I don't want to say scolding her, but it's kind of like he's annoyed with her, and she's trying to make it right. Like Mike, Mike, you know, following after him, and I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. Yeah. So again, like I, we say all of this not only to add some clarity to the call. But also in the context of this does not sound like someone who is uh, fearing for her life at this moment. Um, that doesn't mean she won't snap back into it or into that, you know, that fear later. But in this moment, she seemed to have it seemed to have taken a back burner. Yeah. So if, if you're really terrified for your life, it doesn't seem like you're going to get into this kind of discussion. It seems like you're going to be focused on. I have to save my life. And she kind of fades in and out of that. I never do. I never do. Mike, please. Mike, please. 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 I can't I don't know what phone she's calling from, but I can't really tell where she's coming from. She needs help. So right there at seven fifty nine you hear Pac say Um, you know, like that's when you were going to find my own way home. And this goes to something he said before and something she's done before where, you know, if a, if a, if a date is going to last longer, sometimes she'll say, Hey, you go on, I'll catch up with you later. I'll pay you later. And he thinks maybe she was trying to like not pay him his full amount because he gets a percentage of the call, you know, of the, of the date. Um, so this goes back to this thing he's talked about where he thought she was like pulling some prank or some I don't want to say scam but just some some way of saying hey you go on and so he's bringing this thing up of like you said you were going to find your own way home and then she's like are you kidding me uh this is how you see me some some iteration of that and and then they're going back and forth again and he's trying to kind of ground her I believe 
by saying, no, this is what happened before. And you'll hear Shannon say, so this was all set up. And then he, Pat gets confused and he says, oh, so you set everything up? And, and then he realizes that she's saying like, she's, they're just going round and round. So, but a lot of, I would say boards, conspiracy theorists say that this is indication that Michael Pack and Brewer were in on it, so to speak. Alex with the female, and the female was the initial caller. So this is all set up? I waited for you. You told me you're going to find your way home, darling. What? You know, I'm not going to do that. This is all set up. I've never seen this before. Okay. Well, you're joking me, right? Why? I don't know. Why are you doing this? Again, Michael Pack is totally confused and he's like you're joking with me right like this isn't real you're not really doing this right now yeah you never he says you've never done this before like and then she's like what you set all this up all right i'll say i was lying i was lying you did why it's a 61 number why stop there because Shannon at about 9:22 says please get me out of here Mike so now she's sort of pivoted from wanting to I'm not going outside yeah to wanting to stay in the house not wanting to go outside screaming when Brewer and Pack forcibly tried to make her go outside and now she's asking Mike please get me out of here Mike so it's just changed like a 180 fantastic about this. You were part of this all along. So this is where Shannon is thinking there's a big conspiracy going on. And she just said, you know, like, Shannon says, you're being sarcastic because she just said, I just want to get out of here, Mike. And I imagined him saying, fine, let's go. And she's like, you're being sarcastic. And Pack at 932 says, about what? And 934, Shannon says, about this. You were part of this all along. And at 9.37, you hear Pac say, what are you talking about? I just met him just now. Him, not them, him, Brewer. And I also think that, you know. Well, and that's important to point out because a lot of people are like, there's the giant party going on. So it's like, why would he say him instead of like, I just met them, these guys. There's just Brewer there. Yes, and I think that people kind of get wrapped around the axle at this part where she says, about this, you were part of this all along. I don't think that she's talking or imagining some conspiracy here. I actually think that 
she's talking about setting this call up, you know, like she's just sort of down on this like dramatic narrative of like this, you know, this exchange again, kind of like arguing with that drunk friend, like that you're trying to get to leave this party and everything's a fight. Everything's an argument or some dramatic vignette. And I feel like this is just kind of another dramatic vignette in this saga. And, and I think like you were a part of this all along. Yes. He drove you here. He was a part of this all along, but not a conspiracy to kill you. You were also a part of this all along. I disagree with Shannon here. I do think there was this, she's thinking there's this conspiracy that packs in on, and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, so right there, you, you know, I, first off, the breathing, this is the second dispatcher <laughs> who's gotten on, who is Darth Vader. Um, so you hear that breathing, but you hear Shannon say, you know, well, first at 10.04, you hear Pac say, what do you want me to do? And Shannon at 10.08 says, I just want to go home. And Pac's like, let's go. So again, he's saying, let's go. Let's get in the car. Let's go back to, to town. Let's go back to Manhattan. That's, again, that is why, not to go back on what I just, you know, what we just t talked about. But again, I'm like, okay, if this is a conspiracy to kill you, why are you telling this man that you just want to go home? Like, let's just get in the car and maybe she's not saying that maybe she's saying it to herself to the to the heavens you know like i just i just want to go home and 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 i get that uh but again it does not sound like a conspiracy to kill her oh. well we can give them so just one thing to point out, um, you'll hear this throughout, but the dispatcher is talking about what well, we can give them. And she reads off a number like a, a, a police officer. I think they're to me, they're dealing with a separate call. And this happens again. You'll see little bits and pieces of this. And it comes up later where it's more important. But I think, you know, they're they're dealing with hundreds of calls probably that night. It's a weekend night in a in Suffolk County, which is seven million people. So they're listening in, trying to figure out what to do with Shannon, but also dealing with other stuff. And the other thing, you know, we're at about 1036 right now. And there's this, again, another interaction, um, more dialogue between Pac and Shannon. And Pac says to Shannon, did you ever see that movie with Johnny Depp, which kind of sounds like a non sequitur, right? And she goes, what? And he says, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. And on first blush, you're like, why would he be bringing this up? But if you've seen that movie, which stars Johnny Depp as Hunter S. Thompson on this drug bender in Las Vegas, you would understand that he's telling her that she's reminding him of Johnny Depp's character because she's so messed up. 
And that is from Pac. Pac told us that. That's why he brought all this up is because he's like, you're behind the couch tripping out and I don't understand what's going on. Yeah, extension answering. That's the number that came in. Why are you sitting there looking about the hospital? Mm-hmm. Something's gonna happen to me. There's nobody outside. Yeah, you could call it. But we're not gonna know where it is. County should call it. Oh, it does. Yeah. Hot Suffolk. It's got to be Suffolk, right? Hello. So something at eleven oh nine that Pax is is okay. Okay, okay, fine. Get out of here. Like, let's go. And he says, what's with the phone? So he knows she has her phone. He knows she's on it. I think this is what, when he kind of told us that he realizes she's on the phone. Maybe he doesn't realize it. I think he says he realizes it's, it's with police. But as a guy, you know, who is, according to conspiracy theorists, trying to, you know, kill this person, you wouldn't just let that go. But he doesn't care that she's on the phone, really. He's just trying to get her home. I mean, what I thought, I thought that he was probably like, are you on the phone with your boyfriend? Are you talking, like, who are you calling? Like, why, what's with the phone? Like, put it down. Like, we've got bigger fish to fry. Uh, and to Chris's point, if he thought that they, she was on the phone with the cops and he was doing- Or anyone. Or anyone. And he was, do, and he was doing something that was, you know, going to jeopardize her life. Like, wouldn't he be a little more secretive about that? I mean, just, I'm not, I'm no murderer, but I would think that that would be something that you'd want to kind of keep under wraps. Stop it, Mike. Hello, where are you? Huh? Where are you? What's your name? What's your name? Shannon Gilbert. What's your name? Shannon Gilbert. Where are you? Again, he's like, who are you calling? Because at this point, she's giving someone on the other end of the phone her name. So I think now is when he's really starting to put two and two together where he's like, who are you? Are you on like, who are you calling? Are you on the phone with the cops? Yeah, obviously, you know, she wouldn't be giving her boyfriend her name. He should know it. Uh, it's not her one of her sisters. Um but he doesn't seem, you know, thrown off by this. It's not like, again, if he was in on this conspiracy to murder her, he wouldn't be okay with her being on the phone with the police. I'm by, um, I'm in Long Island. And what's, what's wrong? Huh? What happened? These people are plotting to kill me. Where are you? What's your address? So... This is one of those times where Shannon has tuned back into the operator. She's answering her questions. She's giving him her name. Uh, She's seeing she's in Long Island. And they're like, well, what's going on? These people are plotting to kill me. And that's where Pac laughs and says, shut up. Because, again, it sounds harsh when you just read it. But when you hear him, it sounds like he's like, what are you doing? Why are you saying that? 
Hi, I'm Karina Bemisterfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right. Daily true crime. Every day, Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short-form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, the Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So why not add it to yours? Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts. And remember, stay safe. And that's an important distinction to make, Chris. I'm glad you brought that up because we have been using a widely distributed version of the transcript uh, of this call. And if you were to sit down without the call and just without the audio you know, version of the call and just read this, it does sound you know, it does read. It reads harsh. Very cold and calculated or, you know, un, un, uncaring. But when you hear it, you realize that he's just incredulous. Like, he's like, what? No, shut up. You know, like, like joking around. Why are really. you telling someone we're trying to kill you? That's not what's going on. Yes, he's very light. And and I will say from, you know, the interview, Pac was all, I mean, his demeanor is kind of light in general. So it matches with what I heard in his interview with us. Yeah. And then something just for timekeepers here, we're 12 minutes in and all we have heard is them saying, please leave, go home. Let's go home. Let's leave. Let's go home. 12 minutes of this. What's your address? What's your address? Oh, life, life, stop, life, yeah. Life, stop. Life, stop, life. Life, stop it. Where are you? Life, life, stop it. Life, stop it. What's your name, Shannon? Huh? What's life, your... life, stop. Come here. So she's saying, come here. She's saying, Mike, Mike, stop, stop, Mike, Mike, stop. And at first I thought, is he touching her again? And then I realized, no, I think he's walking away from her. Like, I'm out of here, man. I'm going to go wait in the car. I think at first he was trying to maybe pull her by her arm, but then he starts walking away and then she does this, no, stop, stop. Like, don't leave me. Yeah. And she actually asks him, she says, come here. Again, if he's trying to murder her, why would she want him close to her? Uh, and and at this point, I realized that there's some per- perce- perceived threat outside. Like she truly believes that there's something happening outside again. Where are you? What's your address? Hello. So something to point out here is at 12:46, Pax says, "You want me to call the police." And she's like, yeah, this is what we hear. Yeah, call 911. I want you to tell them the truth. And then there's a pause, the address. So again, she's got this conspiracy in her head, but she also knows they're asking for the address, which she doesn't know. And she's like, so tell them about this plot to kill me. Oh, and give them the address too. Because he's the one who drove there and he would have that information. And then when she says that, you know, like tell them who, you know, tell them the truth. And you'll hear him say, what are we going to tell them? 
And she says, tell him and what we think is who's there. Uh, and then he laughs and he says, oh, my God. Hello, Santa. Mike, stop it. You guys are finding something. Mike, where are you? Mike. Are you in the house? Yeah. Mike, stop it. What town are you in? We're Long Island. Mike, it's... Where? Stop, Mike. Where in Long Island? Stop it, Mike. Mike, stop it. So I just want to say, you just heard Pac say, okay, find a ride. So I think what I hear is him trying to like maybe take her by the arm, like, let's go, let's go. And then she's like, stop it, stop it. He's like, okay, find a ride. Like, I'm leaving. I'm going back out. He sounds totally frustrated. Stop it. Where in Long Island are you? Hello. This is where Chris and I think she she might have gone back inside. So Well, I think she was already inside, but Pack has left. Pack is headed back out to the car. He's like, find your own ride home. I don't know what to do with you. And now she's in the house by herself. And again, it sounds like to me she's tripping. She's having a bad drug trip experience, not necessarily LSD or anything, but she's it's something's not mixing well, and she's going to start panicking because Brewer's gone, Pack's gone, and she's alone. So this is what makes me think she's alone, too, is she tunes back into the operator now. She has no other distractions. Where in Long Island are you? I don't know. They're going to kill me. Are you in a house? Are you in a house? Yeah. Whose house is it? I don't know. Who is Mike? What's his last name? Mike what? So right here you hear Shannon say, be nice to me in the midst of all this crosstalk with the dispatcher. And we think that this is when Brewer might have come back down from smoking a cigarette upstairs because what I'm guessing is he was up there kind of watching below to waiting for Pack to take Shannon out. And he sees Pack leave his house and go back to the car without, without Shannon. Shannon. So yeah. he's like, wait a minute, she's still here. So he comes back down and you'll hear Shannon say, be nice to me. And then you'll hear a man in the background. And we think that's um, that's Brewer. <laughs> How old are you? What's his last name? What's his last name? What's his last name? Shannon. 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 
So just there's a long stretch through here where Shannon's not tuned into the operator. And I think, you know, maybe she's panicking, going around the house, trying to figure out what's going on. And um, but she's not tuned into anything. I think Brewer still might be gone. We don't know exactly. He still might be upstairs. Um, and Pack is out at the car. Shannon. Yeah. What town? What town are you in? Hello? What's Mike's last name? And just one thing I'll point out here that plays in later is you hear some maybe men's voices in the background. I don't think that's Brewer. I don't think that's Pac. I don't think it's a party at Brewer's house. I think it's dispatch other voices in the background that are taking calls because again you'll hear this later when she leaves the house so it's got to be someone other than someone at the house yeah it definitely sounds like either a call center or a television hello Because he'll make sure. One of the guys said, let's go back to my Where are you? 1034 Farmingdale in service. Where are you, Shannon? So I would say here, according to the story that we've heard all along, is that this is where Shannon decides to make a break for it. And she runs outside. Um, according to Pack, she stumbled and fell down Brewer's steps at this, this house. It's kind of still dark outside. Uh, maybe dropped her phone. Maybe dropped an earring or two, some clothing perhaps, a, a, a coat that they found later. And this is where she's going to start running. And, you know, just... A warning, if you've not heard this part of the call before, it is quite harrowing and um, disturbing at times. About 1705, uh, you'll hear Shannon obviously start screaming and running. And she says, stop, stop. Um, and then you'll hear a male voice say, no. And she screams, stop. I think going back to his car, having to start it, because there's some thoughts like, well, you never hear his car start. You don't hear it follow her. Well, I think she's gotten ahead of him, and he's, got to, he's having to go back to the car, start it up, and then give chase, if you will. 
And, you know, Chris and I actually timed this part of the call against a map of the fairway, the street that Joseph Brewer and Gus Coletti lived on in uh, the Oak Beach neighborhood. And whereas we don't have any definitive proof that these are the exact houses that she went to at such and such time, we uh, we did time it out uh according to an Oak Beach map. So you'll hear us comment on that. background you hear um, some birds you heard birds earlier so you know it's very early in the morning she's running down the fairway at this point she hasn't stopped at anyone's house so we assume because of that she skips the the immediate next door neighbor uh, to Brewer probably no lights on so she's going to the next house yes and this is where we believe she approaches that house and also, you'll hear um, you'll hear that conversation again, which sounds like a TV, male voices. So we know she's outside. We know she's on the fairway, that street. So this makes us think all that other talk has been the same thing, this dispatch noise coming through the call. Hello. Here, you hear Shannon running down the street after knocking on her first door, and then you hear her scream. I think this is when Pack catches up with her in his Explorer. So he sees, she sees his uh, headlights approaching from behind, which 
obviously, if you're running for your life and you think that someone's in pursuit, to see headlights from behind, that's the last thing you want to see. What's the shield on the car? What do you think of that, Chris? Yeah, so you're going to hear, what's the shield on the car about 1939 in, and then another dispatcher says 1-9 something something, and a lot of... Uh, a lot of the theorists have stated like, oh, that shows the cops are in on it maybe. There's a cop out there. They're trying to get the shield number because he's there. I think they're dealing with a separate call altogether, maybe this Farmingdale call or whatever that you heard earlier. So I don't think this has anything to do with Shannon's call um, because they haven't gotten the Coletti call, which gives them the, the area of where she's at. You're about to hear Shannon knocking on another door again, and we think it's most likely the address 16 The Fairway, the the same street that Brewer and Coletti lives on. And this is a few houses down from Brewer and about one or two houses down from Gus Coletti. I wonder if she has a phone in her pocket. Shannon now at Gus Coletti's house at the end of the Fairway Street in Oak Beach. And uh, this is right by the front entrance. So Shannon would have surely passed this um, with Michael Pack when Brewer ushered them in to the, the neighborhood earlier in the night. So here she is knocking at Gus Coletti's door. And we know what time it is. It's about 20 minutes. So it's about 5 11 if she was knocking she's the call started at 451 so it's about 10 after 5 and uh the sun's starting to come up we've heard birds chirping gus as we know is up going getting ready to go to a car show upstate new york shannon Hello. 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 Hello.
And you hear Coletti say, wait a minute, don't go away. Where are you going? It sounds like he's talking to a young child. But you don't. What's interesting to me about this part is that I always thought that Shannon, you know, the way it was characterized to me, that she was like screaming, pounding on the door. Let me in. Let me in. You know, uh, there's somebody after me. And the, you know, surprising part is that she doesn't say a word. And it seems that Coletti is actually trying to coax her into saying something. Uh, And I later find out why he's kind of talking to her like she's a child, because apparently he thinks she's 14 years old, if you listen to uh, his his call to SCPD. Um, Yeah, and we know that she's ran um, about... A quarter of a mile, let's say, you know, two tenths of a mile from from Brewers to Coletti. So she's you can hear it. She's very tired. She's spent. She's gassed from the run. But also, um, I think, you know, what Shannon says is like if you were really fearing for your life, panicked, stricken, you would be saying something. She does say a little bit like I need help, but barely gets it out. And I think, again, it doesn't sound like she's she's kind of coming in and out of this this paranoia that she's facing. Uh, the dispatcher, you'll hear the dispatcher say Vopert, V-O-P-E-R-T. And I think that's just crosstalk. I don't think that has anything to do with uh, Shannon's call. Yeah, because uh, at 22-27, the dispatcher says she didn't spell it, but that's what it sounded like. And if you've listened to this whole call, you don't really hear Shannon say anything like Vopert or Bopert. So to us, it seems like it's a, it's a different call. Um, you do hear, you know, Coletti try to talk her back. Where are you going? Wait, don't go away. She leaves. According to Pack and Coletti, she went and hid kind of in the reeds by his boat. And then... And you hear that on the call. You hear some rustling, what sounds like... Uh, maybe, kind of a hull of a boat, maybe, like her hitting a hull of a boat, kind of a yeah, hollow sound. It does. It sounds like she's walking on decking or some, she's hitting decking or something. Yeah, it. it's... When you put it in the context of a boat, you, you think to yourself, oh, yeah, that could be a boat. Something like Dopart, D-O-P-E-R-T. And then at the end of the call, it cuts off. And, and according to Pack and Coletti, what we know is that, you know, she ra- what we understand is that she ran in front of Pack's car, disappeared in the darkness. And then Coletti comes out and talks to Pack. So he loses track of where Shannon went from there. And we do know that from there, she makes her way down to Barbara Brennan's, 
which is another two-tenths of a mile south of, of Coletti's house on the water. Um, and we also have, you know, SCPD also released Barbara Brennan's call because Shannon's call ends at 5.14 a.m. And after that, it's a big question mark. But uh, thankfully, we have Gus Coletti's call uh, where he characterizes Shannon as a 14-year-old girl. Confused uh, with, and kind of out of it. Yeah, and why wouldn't he? He's an, He was an old man at the time, and I'm sure, you know, she's little, not too little. I mean, she's 5'7", I think, but little in terms of thin. She looks young. And young. She was only 23. He might not have his glasses on. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and then we have Barbara Brennan's call where she uh, actually sounds quite scared, uh, saying that there is a woman, a disturbed woman outside of her house uh, who wants in. And she says, I'm not going to let her in. I have an elderly mother in here. Um, So we know that Shannon continues on into the neighborhood. But after Barbara Brennan's call to SCPD, we have no idea what happens to Shannon. We have no proof in terms of what happens to her that night. We know that 20 months later, her remains are found um, in the marshy area behind, not directly behind where her belongings were, but behind Hackett's house closer to Ocean Parkway. Yeah, and so one thing to point out here, just to sum up what I hear on these calls, um, we know Brewer stays behind, according to Coletti. Coletti doesn't see Brewer. Brennan doesn't see Brewer. But we know Pack has given chase. So if if Pack would have killed her, we know that soon after Brennan's call, it's about 12 to 15 minutes that SCPD has shown up. They've already been en route because of Coletti's call, but it's not too long after Barbara's call that um, SCPD shows up. But we know, so that gives Michael a small window where he has to find her in the neighborhood, murder her, if that's what happened, and then get her body into the marsh or into, you know, and dispose of her before he leaves. That is such a small window. It, it doesn't make any sense. But the bigger question is, what happened after the call? That's right. And, you know, just to Chris's point, I I think that he talked to Gus Coletti. Gus Coletti was like, I'm calling the cops. And that was a definitive, okay, someone is calling the cops. I'm not sure that Shannon's on the line with the cops. I think she is. But... This is definitely the cops are on their way. And I think Michael Pack was just like, man, I'm out of here because why? I mean, why would he want to deal with the police? Yeah. And we know that when the police showed up, you know, 12 minutes, I believe, after Brennan's call, they look around the neighborhood, the gated community. They don't find Pack. They don't. And according to Pack, after he left Coletti, he thought Shannon had gone out the gate. Uh, outside of the Oak Beach Association neighborhood. Uh, But instead, it seems she went around the gate, headed south, down the street towards Brennan's. Now, according to Pack, he looked for her out there for a while, um, 45 minutes. I don't think he was there that long, to be honest. Um, I think he says that because he doesn't want to seem callous, that he just left her. But I think he knew cops are coming. I've dealt with this person for... You know, I've chased her along now for 20 plus minutes, um, try to get her out of the house. I'm done. I'm going home. She'll figure it out. So that said, Chris, 
what happened after these 911 calls ceased? And to your point earlier, that is to me, and I believe to you as well, the real question here, because now we know after 12 years what was on these 911 call tapes, but we still don't know what happened after. So, you know, we've talked about this in the first couple seasons of the LISC podcast that, you know, one theory is she um, she made her way into the marsh, stripped some clothing, maybe got into the into some water, and um, ended up in the where she, where her body was found, and that she drowned. Now that's one big theory out there, but the police have said she didn't drown. The way she was found, she was elevated. We've been to the place where her body was found. There's there's not a lot of water there. There wasn't a lot of water when she went missing. We've talked about this. So she didn't drown, we don't think. Now, did she get out there and succumb to the elements? That's another one. That's a big one where people think, well, she had hypothermia. We've talked to an expert on that. And, you know, by the time she gets out to the marsh, the sun's up. Uh, it's probably getting into the 60s already. And, you know, our bodies are tough. They don't just succumb to the elements like that. So we don't think it was hypothermia. So the third theory is, well, you know, she was on drugs. She made it that far. And, you know, because of whatever drug combination she had, it, you know, it caused her death. Uh, you know, cocaine, the exercise, the exertion, her heart exploded. I don't know, but that could have been the reason. And we had talked to an expert, the same expert, the... Um, the ER doctor, Dr. Saint Singh, who, who dismissed hypothermia, you know, also said, look, it's not just easy to die from a, you know, a young person who's semi-healthy to die from, you know, recreational drugs. And that's true. But since we don't exactly know what she took and we don't know what happened, I think that's on the table. Like there could be a bad drug reaction and that caused her death. Well, and you know, after this, this call was released, SCPD came out and said, see, it was an accident. We believe it was an accident. And I started thinking, you know, okay, well, what kind of accident? And like Chris just went through, was it drowning, hypothermia, a drug, you know, a bad drug reaction? Like, how could this be an accident? And then the fourth thing that I considered, based off of a recently released packet of information. I think some of the some of the depositions in this this packet had already been released or I had already seen, but John Ray uh, released a packet of information. The Gilbert attorney. Yes, the Gilbert attorney. And there was a deposition in that packet from a neighbor in Oak Beach named Bruce Anderson. And Anderson, you know, in a sworn deposition, said that Dr. Hackett, Dr. Charles Peter Hackett, had told him in the winter of 2011. So this is a, a full two summers after Shannon went missing. In the winter of 2011, Dr. Hackett personally told him that he ran a home for wayward girls and that he had taken Shannon Gilbert into his home in May 2010 that he had treated her with medication that he had administered to her, that she was confused, had left his home, 
and never returned. So then I said, wait a minute, maybe the accident was Hackett. I'm wondering if because she might have already been on an upper and then he gives her a downer, allegedly, it had some interaction, even if she did flee his house, even if he had nothing to do with, you know, physically murdering her, maybe she left his house after she took the sedative and ended up in the marsh. Yes. And one thing that people like to point out is, you know, according to the autopsy by Suffolk County, there were no drugs in her system. Well, what you have to understand is her remains were found 20 months later. There was some hair that was still there that they were able to test. But that what's going to show up in that is like extended use of cocaine. According to her mom, according to her boyfriend, according to Shannon, according to a lot of people, she used cocaine once in a while, not all the time. So that's not going to show up. So, you know, any drug, you know, um, tests aren't going to say this is exactly what she had in her system at the time because it had been too long. So we don't know what was in her system, but we do know that she did do some some drugs at times on these calls. Yeah, it's like the difference between taking a pee test, you know, for like a drug test and giving a hair sample. So the pee test is going to show what you had within the past however long, right? Like the past 30 days or something like that. Yeah. And the hair test is going to give you a much longer period of time. So I, it's... That shows only extended use. Yes, extended use. Exactly. Um, so because you brought this up when I, when I started talking about Peter Hackett, I think it's also important to note that in that same deposition from the Gilbert attorney, John Ray, or not the deposition, in the same packet um, that includes the deposition from, from uh, Bruce Anderson, there's another deposition from a woman named Evelyn Scalise, who was also a neighbor of Peter Hackett. And she testified that on, she swore that um, she had heard while visiting a neighbor, while visiting another neighbor of Oak Beach, that she heard Peter Hackett tell Marianne, who was, uh, Marianne Conti was also a neighbor in, in Oak Beach, that he was thinking about opening up a home for wayward girls. And if you recall, this is what Mary Gilbert said that Peter Hackett told her uh, some iteration of this when he called her after presumably getting her number from Alex Diaz. Yes. And that's another big question of like how Hackett must be in on it. One thing is because he had her number. Well, according to uh, Pack and Diaz, they went back out looking for Shannon and gave Hackett um, Mary Gilbert's number. So that's one way he could have gotten it, which makes the most sense. What doesn't make sense is why Dr. Peter Hackett would insert himself the way he has in this case. Now, you can write it off to him being just this busybody who loved to get involved and, uh, and you know, be the white knight of the neighborhood who's helping everyone and fixing things and, and stepping in when he shouldn't. And that points to a lot of stuff he's done in his past. So that's the innocent version of it that, you know, he was just trying to help, just going overboard with it and stepped into it and couldn't get back out of it. You know, he inserted himself too far and was trying to figure it out. 
there's another way of looking at that. Yeah. So, um, sorry, I was reading this deposition from, you're going to have to edit this out because I was reading this deposition from Tom Canning um, where he says uh, he, you know, uh, Joe Scalise, Evelyn Scalise's husband, was saying that after this whole incident at uh, Brewer's house that night, that he went to go speak to another neighbor, Tom Canning, uh, who is a, a a neighbor that lives a bit closer to Barbara Brennan, and I was just reading this, which is why I got lo- which is why I got lost when when Chris went to volley me, um, you know, the mic. And it says, Tom Canning stated to me that Joe Brewer left the house to get more coke. Tom said Shannon Gilbert was all coked up. Then he then went on to tell me at some point he was contacted by Barbara Brennan and went with his dog and son, Justin. They later saw footprints, wet footprints coming from the beach. At that point, he went to go meet up with Peter Hackett and and he and Peter met up with Shannon Canning stated that Shannon was agitated and out of control. Canning stated that he and Hackett tried to calm her down and that Hackett gave her a sedative to sedate her. So again, you have two accounts in the neighborhood, one from Joe Scalise, which is, this is secondhand, right? Because he's saying that Tom Canning said this. And another directly from Bruce Anderson, who says that Hackett told him, directly that he gave Shannon a sedative. So now two accounts that Peter Hackett gave Shannon a sedative and saw her that night. And just to go back a second to understand, you know, after Brennan called 911, she called her neighbor, Tom Canning, and said, there's something going on. Please come over. So Canning and his son and the dog went over to see what was going on, you know, at about 515, 520 in the morning. Supposedly they saw some tracks where Shannon had gone around the house knocking in, on windows. And then, according to some of these depositions, like Shannon said, uh, sh- our Shannon said, that um, they met up with Hackett and Hackett gave her something. Now, in the end, we don't know exactly what happened, but I think the big question is not the call. You know, what happened on the call sounds like the story we've heard all along. And it's worth pointing out that both Brewer and Pack um, cooperated with the police. They went without lawyers to the police. They participated, and the police have said all along, and they still say to this day, they've both been cleared. It's what happened after the call. Now, it could be innocent. It could be just, you know, a tragic accident of too many drugs. And it, you know, Shannon succumbed to that. But there are some questions that we, you know, that uh, come up with Hackett. Is he just a, a nutter who wants to get involved or did he give her something and that went south? I mean, I am not one to entertain uh, conspiracy theories uh, or the English language, apparently. Um, no, I'm not one to entertain conspiracy theories um, unless, I mean, I, I look for hard evidence. Do I like a conspiracy theory? Of course. But she does. am I going to believe one without hard evidence? No. And I would say that we're still not there. <clears throat> we're still not there on Peter Hackett. But given the information that's within this packet, uh, 
you know, provided by the Gilbert attorney, John Ray, I think that there's some smoke. Yeah, you know, with Hackett, it's very, you know, it's just as easily that he is some do-gooder fabulist who makes up stories and inserts himself into things. And like we said with Pack and Brewer, that does not make him a murderer. It makes him an idiot. Um, but there are questions there that, you know, could use some answers. And um, I think that's what, you know, that's what the Gilbert family would like to know. And, you know, there are other questions about, and people get a little granular with this, uh, other questions after the tape as well. And they all kind of fall into this category of like, well, what happened after? Um, which to Chris's point is the big, you know, question at hand. But, you know, there was another question. Um, we posted about this on our on our LISC podcast Twitter uh, account recently about, you know, now that you've heard these questions or now that you've heard these, uh, the, the call, what questions still remain? And we got a lot of people, you know, writing in asking, you know, if it was an accident, why would she remove her own clothes? Uh, you know, her body and her clothes were in opposite directions. So why not keep running straight if you removed your clothes because you were suffering from hypothermia? So Chris, do you want to tackle any of this, you know, these questions about her clothes and why she would have removed them if if hypothermia was not a, a viable option? Well, I think we've answered most of the questions that were sent in just by going over the tape. And again, these are our thoughts and what we hear. Um, yeah, there was a question about like her body and clothes and why were they gone and why were they in opposite directions? But if you look at where she could have entered the marsh, where the clothes were found and where she ended up, it's not in opposite directions necessarily. Um, they kind of go in line with each other, especially according to what SCP, SCPD said. Uh, on the video where, you know, she followed this this ditch, if you will, that was in the middle of the marsh that was used to kind of control the water flow. It's like an irrigation canal. Yeah. Um, but the reason she took off some clothing, um, you know, you know, these jeans, she had tights on underneath, which you find out. That's so, important to remember is that she wasn't completely naked. Yeah, she had tights on, so, you know, were her jeans caught up in something? Were they um, waterlogged? That could be the reason. Um, and, you know, from what we hear on the call, she was not acting rationally. So, you know, there's there could be just just in non-rational explanation for why she abandoned some stuff. Yeah, and some other questions uh, asked about, you know, if Brewer paid her and if she was when she was found, did she have money on her? And um, and then, you know, asking, you know, further questions about did Brewer fully cooperate? Did Pack fully cooperate? And according to SCPD, both Pack and Brewer fully cooperated. I don't know, and maybe Chris, you might know, I don't know if she had money that was found in her pocketbook. Well, usually in these exchanges, what what we understand is the money is handled up front. So the money could have been in her jeans. It could have been in her whatever the 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 belongings were found in the marsh. Um, we don't exactly know. Um, I don't think it really 
matters too much if he paid her or not. I don't think it has a, a huge weight on, you know, the call and then especially what happened after. So all that said, Chris, after all of this analysis, after all the boards and all the speculation, do you believe that Shannon Gilbert is a victim of the Long Island serial killer? Well, I personally, I think it's about 70-30, 70% saying she was not a victim of the Long Island serial killer. Um, a lot of people are like, well, she ended up in the same spot. You hear that, all, you see that on the boards all the time. She was miles away from the same spot. Um, and, you know, well, that's close enough. Well, I mean, you can believe what you want. Oftentimes, conspiracy theorists will believe what you want, what you want, what they want, regardless of the evidence. But I think it was some sort of tragedy, not knowing who was involved or not. I don't think it was all-out murder. You know, she might have, she might have been a victim to something, but it was an accident. And I don't think she's tied. But I think she did lead to the other bodies because they were looking for her. Yeah, and I I tend to fall in that same sort of general area where I don't, you know, I honestly do not believe that she uh, was a victim of the Long Island serial killer, but I do believe that she was and continues to be, even 12 years after the fact, uh, you know, a light that shines on the Long Island serial killer case. And I think that is what to remember, that is the important thing to remember when we are discussing all of this is, hey, she led to the discovery of the Gilgo Four and the other six, you know, uh, confirmed official victims of the Long Island serial killer. And for that, uh, I think we are all a bit closer to the truth and understanding what happened. Yeah, that's a good point. Even 12 years later, she's helping at least bring a light to it. She's at least bringing a discussion and pushing the thing forward. And hopefully, soon, we'll have answers, not just for Shannon and what happened after the call, but for the, the bigger case of, you know, how did these Long Island serial killer victims end up along Ocean Parkway? Thank you for joining us on this special episode of Lisk Long Island Serial Killer. Be sure to visit us on social at Lisk Podcast. That's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Lisk Podcast and online at www.liskpodcast.com. And we will always bring uh, what we feel are important updates to the case. And we will have an episode coming up very soon where we talk with Bear Brodsky. This is Amber's friend who um, lived at the house with her and Dave Schaller. Amber was the last victim to go missing that we know of in 2010, September of 2010. Bear is someone we've always wanted to talk to. He is plugged back into the case and really is trying to move things forward with what he can. And uh, he just, we had a great discussion where he shed some light on what life was like for them during this time, who Amber was, and, you know, anything helps to hopefully bring this whole thing to a conclusion. So be looking for that episode. This has been a Mopac Audio production. Our executive producers are Jonathan Nauzardin and Jonathan Beal. Chris Moss is supervising producer. And I'm Shannon McGarvey, senior producer. Editing by Tanner Moore. Music 
by Blake Maples.